Welcome to KRNU, A Retrospective. In this series, we will unpack the last 50 years of Lincoln's new music alternative. In this six-part series, we will hear from the faculty, staff, and students that have left their mark and helped keep KRNU running. This is episode one, Little Tower of Power. The decade from 1970 to 1980 would be the most transformative years for KRNU. The staff and students who worked on air during that time helped to bring the station to prominence. The initial goal and motivation to start the station was to give students a realistic radio broadcast environment, but that was not all. Peter Mayu, program director from 1969 to 1990, said the goal was to help students. Now, our main purpose was to stay on the air, offer something alternative to what the mainline broadcasters were doing. Initially, the FCC gave KRNU a license to broadcast at 10 watts, which is small for a radio station in the city the size of Lincoln. Um, one, student, one student kept referring to us early on in the years, hey, KRNU, the low tower of power. Well, 10 watts is not very powerful, um, but it got us to the city and it gave us the information that we needed. So uh, transition was away from a sort of a closed circuit system into a regular on-air FCC-sanctioned 10-watt uh, radio station. Very early in the life of KRNU, the staff of KRNU, which consisted of three people at the time, began to search for programs to air. Larry Walkland explains the growth. The other consideration is that we've always done, you still do, of course, is the opportunity to do innovative programming. And people sometimes would say to us, oh, what's an example of innovative programming? So, well, innovative programming was when Professor Peter Mayu and our programming and I went over to the university administration and said, we decided that we would like to broadcast live the Board of Regents meetings. And we explained to them that the open meetings law said that we could do it. And they said, we'll, 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 we'll consider that. Now, of course, the interesting situation is, is that, as you know, they could have, because they control the license, the Board of Regents or the Board of Directors, they could just say, boy, we don't want to do it. We own the station. We don't want to. But they didn't say that. And so uh, even at that time, right away after we went on the air, we started broadcasting the Board of Regents meetings. Two things about that, one of which is it improved understanding of the university community. It really helped people understand what was going on. And the other consideration is that it helps students understand the relationship of, of uh, the mass media to the governmental entities in terms of doing this. So we did it because it was an idea that really was very appropriate in terms of education. The format of the station wasn't yet established, so every student DJ got to play pretty much whatever they wanted. It, it truly was what you might call eclectic. Every hour was different. Um, we might have a program on folk music. We had a couple of Spanish-speaking students, so we had a Spanish-language program. Um, we had uh, big band music. Uh, we had current hits. The music of the 70s was eclectic, to say the least. The late 60s, Free Love led to the rise of psychedelic hits from Shocking Blue, Janis Joplin, and Jefferson Airplane. Meanwhile, soft rock staples like Bread, The Carpenters, and Barbra Streisand topped the charts. The music of the late 60s and early 70s reflected a changing America. Hippies' go-with-the-flow attitude clashed with the obligation to find consistent employment, start families, and settle down. The lifestyle had notable casualties. Jimi Hendrix died of a drug overdose in September 1970, and less than a month later, Janis Joplin died from a heroin overdose. 
drugs, societal shifts, and a tense political climate marked this time. The early 70s also featured a British invasion of its own, with artists like The Who, Elton John, and of course, Queen. Because KRNU was an educational station, the FCC did not require the station to be on air all year, only when classes were in session. However, Walkland said that the station would operate all year long. Well, two things, one of which you were professional broadcasters, and we had an audience out there, and secondly, there were students who were enthusiastic and they wanted to be on the air. Even if they weren't necessarily in class during a summer session or a pre-session, they were ready to show up and do it. Not only did the type of music depend on who was manning the station, but it also depended on the records they were able to get. Our format varied quite a bit because it depended on what records we could get. <laughs> and since we didn't want to spend any money, we were kind of at the mercy of that. It could some days range everything from, I don't know, Dino Lombardo to the Beatles. Although the original studio might have been small, as Mayu recalls, it worked well for the time. You know, it functioned very well. It had the major components of a um, station. From the beginning, the budget for KRNU was pretty tight, but the faculty made do with the resources they were given. See, we, we had used equipment most of the time anyway. We very seldom, up, up to that point, very seldom bought anything new. <laughs> we were very good salvagers. Mayu and Walkland's craftiness is best exemplified in their frequent trips to the state surplus store. And like I said, it was scavenging. Um, salvaging information. We visited um, the state surplus store on a regular basis. Uh, after a while, I told Walkland, I says, do we have to keep doing this every week? I mean, they only have so many things we can buy, you know. And he says, well, we never know. It might find something that we can use. And it could be a table, a chair, a desk, or something like that. So um, that, those lean days, I think, uh, helped sustain us and then got us into the time when we could afford something much better. So. That time came in 1972 when the School of Journalism and 90.3 KRNU moved from Nebraska Hall into Avery Hall. The transmitter was moved to the top of Old Father Hall. First gave us a close proximity between the studio facilities and the transmitter, and it also was a higher point uh, on the campus. It was a little bit higher, I think, than Abel Hall. And you got to think of everything because it does snow in Nebraska, and if we have a problem with our antenna and transmitter, you want something fairly close so the engineer could go and get it fixed and, and have it back running again properly. As the decade wore on, the music scene featured an arrival of soul music when, in 1972, five of the top-selling records and 11 of the top 20 albums were by black artists. During the day, KRNU played hit songs, but at night, the station switched to playing songs from the up-and-coming rock era. Current general manager of KRNU, Rick Alloway, talks about the different types of music KRNU played at different day parts. I mean, rock music in the 70s was, you know, was sort of verging into, the, we were just coming into the, the progressive rock era that Woodstock and all that stuff had, had led to. So our rock programming at night tended to be more, you know, Led Zeppelin and Yes and groups along that line. But during the day, we were playing pretty much just the, the pop hits that uh, the AM music stations were playing. So it would have been Oh, uh, well, it might have been some Beach Boys and stuff like that, but it wasn't really the, the rock and roll stuff that, uh, that a lot of us wanted to play. But KRNU played more than just music. The station ran at that time with sort of almost three different formats that during the day we played uh, kind of middle of the road music, kind of stuff that maybe your parents or grandparents might have listened to. And uh, then at night... 
after a certain time in the evening, we went to more of a rock format and played more album cuts and things like that during the evenings. But we were all also very heavily invested in news coverage. And so during the day, we would run network newscasts every hour that we had to time into precisely at the top of the hour. And then uh, a couple of times during the day, we actually did an entire block of news that would run for the better part of an hour, switching back and forth between network newscasts and news content that was produced by students in the news courses. In addition to news, KRNU was also heavily focused on covering Husker sports. When the university created the Nebraska women's basketball team in 1975, KRNU helped promote the sport. But we were carrying women's basketball long before the program took off and uh, were the first station in Lincoln, actually, to uh, to carry women's basketball on a regular basis. Husker football was a big event in the 1970s. One game covered by ABC each week essentially brought everything in that community to a standstill. So it was a big deal when ABC would come to Lincoln to do a ball game. One year for the Nebraska-Oklahoma game, Keith Jackson, the play-by-play announcer for ABC Sports, and his production crew stopped by the campus before the game. But while Keith was there, he came across the hall and did the ABC radio sports from the KRNU newsroom. And the young man from 227 who was running the audio board at that time didn't know that that Jackson was in the building. And uh, Dr. Walkland went in and said, hey, Keith Jackson's going to do the sports from across the hall. And the, the young man on the board went, yeah. Sure he is. And Keith opened the microphone. It's hi everybody, Keith Jackson for KRNU Sports. It was that was memorable. So we had a lot of those kinds of guest speakers during that time. The 1970s was a growth period for KRNU. The station went on air at the beginning of the decade and grew to prominence in Lincoln. Music styles were evolving from counterculture icons and funky jams to rock as bands like Aerosmith took over the airwaves. Next. KRNU enters the Decade of Greed. Just 